This Thanksgiving special episode of the Feminist Survival Project 2020 is sponsored by If the Boot Fits by the one and only inimitable Rebecca Weatherspoon. Set on a black-owned luxury dude ranch and with a fairy tale twist, the second of the Cowboys of California romance is a thoroughly modern take on the timeless tale of a struggling Cinderella who finds her prince charming at the 11th hour. Working as the personal assistant to one of Hollywood's cruelest divas has left our heroine, Amanda Queen, more determined than ever to sell her screenplay and gain her independence. In the meantime, she'll settle for a temporary escape. When her employer is felled by the flu on Hollywood's biggest night of the year, Amanda gets her glam on, struts out the door, and parties with the glitterati. But she never expects to come face to face, and closer than close, with one of the hottest stars in the game. Following up his first Oscar win with a steamy after-hours romp with an enigmatic woman seems like the perfect way for actor Sam Pleasant to celebrate. Until she suddenly disappears. Only instead of leaving a slipper behind, she inadvertently runs off with his Oscar in a swag bag, leading him to tracking her down and wondering if a repeat performance of their amazing night is in the stars. And when a second chance encounter happens at Sam's family ranch, they have a chance to turn one magical night into forever. Author Rebecca Weatherspoon is founder and operator of Women in Color in Romance, a platform that promotes romances written by women of color. You can follow the group at WOC in Romance. If the Boot Fits is available wherever books are sold. Find out more at kensingtonbooks.com. everybody and welcome to another episode of the Feminist Survival Project. This is like a holiday special episode and we're going to talk about Thanksgiving in the time of Corona. What is the evidence-based thing to do? That's that. And then and then what do you, how do you how do you actually make what's evidence-based work in your life? I'm Emily Nagaski and I'm Amelia Nagaski. We're going to be playing our usual roles, which is I'm the public health nerd who's going to say what's the right thing to do. Yeah. And then Amelia's going to point out why that's actually not as simple as it sounds. And then we're going to figure out evidence-based strategies for doing it for real, even though it's hard. Ready? Mm-hmm. So opening question, what is the appropriate evidence-based thing to do about Thanksgiving in terms of celebrating and getting together with family in what is usually the highest travel time in the country? The answer is nothing. You don't go anywhere. You do not have people over. You do not go into anyone else's house. You stay in your pod. Didn't you know there's a fucking pandemic? It's worse than it has ever been right now, and it's going to continue to get worse. All of the stuff you were doing in March, like think what you were doing around, you know, April 2nd, March 30th. You should be doing that. You should be like, Washing surfaces, because it turns out the virus may be more stable on surfaces in the winter than it was in the spring and summer because the temperatures are lower and the humidity is lower. And so the virus might survive better on surfaces. So fomites come back into it. Plus, you should definitely not be going into a space with anyone who's immune compromised in any way or anyone over the age of 50. What the fuck is a fomite? It's a a surface on which... A communicable disease can live. Oh. You haven't heard the word fomite in all the research you've been doing? I have not. No, I stopped doing research no. about COVID. Well, to be so. completely fair, I had never heard the word fomite until this year either. Okay, okay. So there's that. <laughs> so 
You should not go anywhere. It's very simple. It is extremely easy. This is not a complicated decision. Okay, so it's extremely simple, but it's not extremely easy. It's not even close to easy. See, I feel like it's, it's the easiest possible really thing because you don't have to yeah. do anything. Okay. All you have yeah, to do is nothing. See, so all you have to do is make a huge change in how you've celebrated a major holiday for possibly decades. That's a big thing to ask people to do. Look, how you usually celebrate Thanksgiving is maybe you come here or maybe you go to your in-laws or maybe you just stay home and have like just you and Rich. Like that's what you do. So for you... It's extremely easy because it's totally normal for you just to have like a little tiny thing or not to have like a consistent tradition. But I, Thanksgiving is a big, big deal in my house. Uh, my husband is divorced and he has been a professional church musician his whole life and his whole adult life and some of his youth. Anyway, so he works on Christmas. So the deal was his ex-wife would get the kids on Christmas when he has to work anyway, and he gets the kids on Thanksgiving. So we have Christmas and Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving. It's a big deal. We've had everyone all together for Christmas every year for ugh, almost 20 years, 18, 17 years every year. I always host Thanksgiving if you or our brother or mom or whoever wants to like be together for Christmas, they come, they to, come to my house. Yeah. yeah. I have roasted a turkey every year <laughs> for 20 years. I have made stuffing every year for 20 years. I have made, actually, I made cranberry sauce for like the first 12 years. And then you realized everybody likes it canned better anyway? No, no, no. And then I started, when the kids were old enough, I started delegating that each of them has to cook a side. Oh, right. So the youngest stepdaughter makes the cranberry sauce. Usually, like, from scratch the night before, and then we refrigerate it overnight. The boy usually makes the mashed potatoes or potatoes of some kind, and uh, he's getting better at it. Like, all of them are getting better, and uh, the oldest generally makes, like, a sweet potato thing or a uh, pastry thing. She made pies last year. Yeah, she loves to bake. So And you take sometimes. a picture every year. I often come and, like, take a right. picture of everybody take a, on the we steps. Take a, we have m many years of, like sequential pictures of us sitting on our steps outside the house like of all of us all together it's a big deal yeah and they're really like they like each other and like yes. put their arms around each other and hug and are glad and to sit see on each, each other. other on the couch yeah it's a big they're deal fun and it's so saying that oh just don't do anything just don't get together for just Thanksgiving. don't have like, your kids come back to your house <laughs> like for the first time in 20 years we won't be together on thanksgiving that's really hard. That's extremely difficult. But it's very simple. It's so simple, but it's so hard. And everybody in the family does agree that it is the, like, moral yes. choice. Yes, absolutely. Now, back in February, and even back in, like, April, when we didn't know how long all of this would last, and we weren't sure how bad it would be in the fall, um, the oldest stepdaughter is actually in the UK right now. She left a month ago to begin her master's degree studying Shakespeare. So back in like February, March, April, I was thinking, well, you know, Thanksgiving is not a holiday in the UK, so she's not getting off school. So we can all go to her and we'll all stay in Stratford-upon-Avon for like a long weekend slash week. And like, it'll be, I was, this is a thing that I was considering us doing because when the boy was in school in Canada for a year, 
my husband and his youngest daughter flew to Nova Scotia to have Thanksgiving with him, even though it's not, they don't have the same Thanksgiving in Canada as we do. Like, and I stayed home and watched the dogs so that they could do that. But like, that was the, that was the weirdest, most dispersed. Uh, the oldest stepdaughter was in Scotland for her college semester that semester. So like, that was the only year that we weren't all together at Thanksgiving. But even then, like, we made every possible effort to get as many people together as possible. And, uh, and so this year, it's kind of just like, petered into this like well she's in the uk the youngest is in south carolina the boy is a roving troubadour at this point um and none of them should come to the house so the plan is they're gonna zoom in like i'm still gonna make thanksgiving we're still gonna i'm still gonna roast a turkey i'm gonna make stuffing I'm probably going to have Malin make the rest of the things, maybe. Um, I was actually thinking that a fun thing to do would be to get the kids to zoom him one at a time and like walk him through the steps of making the thing that they would ordinarily make. Aww. So that he doesn't have to do the work of like learning how to make the thing, but also I don't have to make the thing. <laughs> <laughs> and he gets to spend that time so with the kid. And he gets to spend the time with the kid doing a thing that is actually like a traditional thing that we would have been doing. Yeah. So we'll have to see if we can make that work. And that's, that's the kid and their dad working together to help you not have to do the thing because COVID. Like, because not just preventing him from getting COVID, but because you're experiencing still symptoms of long COVID. Yeah. And I don't have the energy to yeah. stand in front of a stove. And how are you going to cook your turkey? Because that's effortful. Yeah. I So when I cook these days, I have a stool and I, I sit in front of the stove to cook. Okay. So you don't have to, like, haul your... 15 pound turkey around i am gonna have to like haul it around a little but while i'm i'm gonna spatchcock it so while i like cut it up and lay it out and salt it i can sit for all of that spatchcocking a turkey is hard work though it is but it's so worth it i know dude i've spatchcocked my turkey for years yeah this year just for the record i'm gonna be sous viding the turkey (laughs) we got a sous vide this year and i'm gonna sous vide the turkey (laughs) that is like the bougiest thing you've ever said out loud. No, the bougiest thing is I'm going to drive an hour and a half into the Berkshires to pick up my heritage, pastured, <laughs> yeah, happy turkey yeah. that's on a list of like breeds we have to eat so that they don't go extinct. This is a heritage bird that's on a list of like protected species of like we need to keep this breed alive and continue eating it. And the only commercial, commercially viable way to preserve the species is to eat it. Yeah. And it's okay. like, like so, so I'm going to drive into the Berkshires and pick up my turkey that I reserved in July because <laughs> I was thinking about it because I was thinking, I was like, in July, I was like, okay, we're in this until next spring. What's, what's happening between now and next spring? And I thought about Halloween and Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's and my husband's birthday and even our birthday, which isn't until mid-April. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was, I've been plotting what we're going to do all this time because I knew now we have like, so there's this extraordinary good news of a vaccine with a 90% efficacy, they're saying, mm-hmm. which is like, it is so good. This news is so, we had this one week of just like shockingly good news after shockingly good news. And Fauci says that the vaccine is going to be available for substantial proportion of the population by the spring. April. Wow. So we have, that's, that's the glimmer of light at the end of the tunnel of this shit. 
the winter is going to be unspeakably dark. Like I cannot, as a public health person, I want everybody to be prepared for thousands of deaths a day through January. It's going to be so bad because no one is doing anything to create change in huge swaths of the nation. Yeah, It's going to be really bad. Everybody needs to be in the same state that they were in in March and April. Locked out. Hunk, hunkered down, locked down, being really, really cautious and protecting yourselves and everybody else. And again, we had this talk way back then, too, that you're all like, you just need to do this. It's so simple. And I'm like, so that's a big ask for people because it's it's not logistically feasible for a lot of people. It takes an emotional toll, like a really intense emotional toll to give up huge swaths of your day, vast habits and ways of like, it's a big it's a big thing to tell people they have to do now. It's going to save lives, so it's worth it. Yeah, it is. Oh, and that brings me to, I want to talk about the New York Times. Yes, our, our casual hair flip mentioned in the New York Times, humble brag. Yeah, like, oh my God, like the New York Times totally quoted us. And was it you who asked me, like, why did they quote chapter three? Yeah, I, so it was an article about burnout and cooking Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's it's called For Home Cooks, Burnout is a Reality This Holiday Season. Because not only are you maybe cooking some Thanksgiving, but also you've been probably cooking at home more than you usually do for a lot of families. That's been a thing because they're not eating out anything like as yeah. much as they usually did. So they quote chapter three, which is the one about meaning. You make meaning in your life by engaging, by engaging with something, with something larger. larger than yourself. And um, they refer to chapter three. They talk about how uh, you can find meaning through goals, acts of service, simply being in real living relationships to create a support system. And I was like, why in this thing about burnout and food are they talking about chapter three of all chapters? What? And I was like, of course they are. One of the things we talk about in the chapter as like a way to find something larger for yourself is the obituary exercise where you write an obituary for yourself to sort of focus on what you want to be remembered for. What's your legacy? Yeah. And for me, when I did that, Thanksgiving came up. I was like, Oh, turns out cooking food with my stepkids and husband and making this meaningful holiday tradition is, it's like one of the most important things in my life. So for you. So yeah, of, of course they quoted chapter three. Chapter three is about Thanksgiving. Chapter three is about doing this. I mean, it's drudge work. Roasting a fucking turkey is a pain in the ass. It's one of those things that's not rewarding in and of itself a turkey is not worth the effort that it takes to roast it the taste of a turkey is not so good that like you can spend all day preparing this stupid bird but you know what is worth it doing it every year and having a flavor that reminds you of that day of that experience of those years and that the changes across those years that is totally worth it so yeah Thanks, New York Times. You totally nailed that. So Amelia's something larger is a turkey. <laughs> I do usually get a very big... And the mere existence of the turkey is not enough. It has to be... You have to engage with the turkey in order to make yeah. the meaning. Yeah. I mean, why do we do things that aren't immediately rewarding, right? Because they're rewarding in the long term because they're worth it. They're hashtag worth it. Yeah. So now we have to reshift... What's hashtag worth it? And the new effort is now 
not see this is what I mean getting like treated to that tradition I would have assumed she'd talk about chapter two where it's about figuring out like when to quit when to keep working hard what kind of effort is worth it yeah no because the thing that's hard about Thanksgiving is that it's meaningful is that it's tradition okay and that means a lot more to more people than it does to you yeah yeah so I'm an outlier in oh, by a lot you're like way the end of the bell curve all the rest of us are like, I can't go home for Thanksgiving. I'm not going to see my people at Thanksgiving. That's that's almost everyone in the country. And I'm like, don't kill fucking grandma. Don't kill yeah. grandma. How about that? <laughs> like, yeah. Like, how could how can that possibly even for a second seem like it comes close to being equivalent in terms of your cost benefit analysis? Because spending time with grandma is hugely important to grandma. I know. Oh, God damn it. I know. I know why. It's because, remember, soon certain positive, the reward structure. When something is, like, soon certain or positive, then, like, you know, time with grandma, soon certain positive. But if it's distant and less likely, and it doesn't matter how seriously negative it is if it's kill grandma, but it's, like, there's, like, a 4% chance of killing if grandma. I hadn't, if I hadn't gotten COVID, especially if I hadn't gotten long COVID, I might be thinking... Thanksgiving might be worth it. Like, maybe I'll, maybe this is when I'll get COVID, I might be thinking. But like, I can't give up Thanksgiving just for that risk. Thanksgiving's too big. It's too important. It clearly outweighs the risk of getting sick, even if it is really bad. And now I know, because I did get it from exactly this kind of gathering. From exactly this kind of gathering. From exactly this kind of gathering. And it's been, I mean, it was Father's Day. And now it's Thanksgiving and I'm still sick. So do I think it's worth it? No, I don't. I, I definitely think that giving up Thanksgiving is actually a reasonable cost for avoiding spreading this goddamn motherfucking virus. But I, it's a big cost. Even though Thanksgiving was literally the thing that came to your mind when you thought, what's the most important thing about me that I want to be in my obituary? Yeah. Thanksgiving is the thing. And you're like, I can have, like, remember 2020 was the year when we didn't do the thing because of fucking COVID. And it'll make next year so much, like, more intense and joyful that you made this sacrifice this year for this incredibly important reason so that their dad would still be here in Thanksgiving 2021. Yeah. Don't kill dad. Yeah. Make meaning by not doing the thing that you ordinarily do to make meaning. You got to do something new to make a new kind of meaning. And yes, it's a big ask. It's a it's not a small thing. It is simple. It's, it's not a straightforward decision because when you're doing the, the cost-benefit analysis, when you're thinking, what are the good things of doing Thanksgiving the way we've always done it? Um, it's obvious what those are. You're like, it's, and the list is so long, so long, and each thing on that list is so big. And you think, what are some of the not so good things about doing Thanksgiving the way we've always done it? The answer is COVID and the potential health implications for all of the people involved. Yeah, it's it's going to kill one percent of the people who get it. So. And we don't know which among those people are truly most at risk, though we have some idea. And also, there's no way to predict which of the people who are not going to get deathly ill will be ill for months. Yeah, months. It's a life-changing impact, even if it doesn't kill you. <sighs> yeah, yeah. So then we go to our third box, and which that's ten percent of people. Ten percent. Ten percent of people. So if you have ten people at your Thanksgiving, 
Well, no, if you have 100 people at your Thanksgiving. One is going to die. <laughs> one, yeah. Well, no, that's if they all get sick. Oh, yeah, which they're not all going to get sick unless something get very, sick. very bad is happening with your ventilation in your house. <laughs> yeah, or if somebody definitely, like, has a really bad case and it's a super spreader event. and Which that happens. Yeah, yeah that happens. So we've got our what are the good things about doing it the traditional way, what are the not-so-good things, and let's make clear the not-so-good things are death, death and or life-changing illness, like chronic disability. Yeah, yeah long-term. Uh, what are some of the good things about doing it the COVID-distant way, which is to say not being physically present with each other. Well, you can still have a turkey. <laughs> and then what are some of the not-so-good things about doing it the socially distant way? You make those four lists. Yeah. This is evidence-based, motivational interviewing 101. You make these four lists. Good things about the usual way, not-so-good things about the usual way. Good things about the different way, not-so-good things about the different way. You look at those four lists and you make a sort of assessment. When I look at this, what do I notice? What do I see? What are the patterns? What are the things that really matter to me? There's something larger is going to emerge from this analysis. It almost certainly will. Mm -hmm. Like what matters most to you about the good things and about the not so good things you're trying to avoid. And then you ask yourself this really important question. Are there any ways that I can get some of these good things, especially the ones that matter most to me, and yet avoid some of those not so good things? Are there strategies I can use to be able to get the togetherness and the memories, maybe even the photos, and avoid sharing air and droplets yeah. with these other humans. Fomites. Which you have solved by the idea of having Malin and one kid at a time zoom together so that he can make the side so that you don't have to and so that, which is that, that this is one of the benefits of not doing it the usual way. Mm-hmm. is like you don't have to do the work and Malin gets this like special time, this unique, totally unique. It's going to happen once in their lives that they'll be required to be separated because of COVID and they'll spend this time together. And the picture we always take, like this year, it's going to be a Zoom screenshot and that's going to be... That's going to go in the calendar. I make a calendar every year and I put pictures from all around the year, all across the year in the calendar, pictures from last year, previous years. And uh, on the November month, I have all of our Thanksgiving pictures. And this is going to be the one year that it's a, it's a Zoom screenshot instead of just a picture of us all, you know, on the steps. Yeah. And it's going to be, we're going to be like, oh, yeah, that was the year. It's going to be, in the end, it'll actually be very special. Yeah. It's going to be the year that you blah. And that's why I think, like, noticing, like, this is the only time you're ever going to do this way. This is so special. This is so important. It's such a moment. You're part of history. Yeah. Doing Thanksgiving this way. Yeah. Not just your family history, but like American history. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is the tail end of just like getting through this fucking nightmare of the last Rolling year. Up your the last we can do it. Four years, the last six years. Like if we can get through this, then we are over the top of the hill. Mm-hmm. If we can make it through fucking February, was Valentine's Day on my list of holidays? Oh yeah. <laughs> Planning ahead. Like what are the things I can do to like light the house and make it look Super huga, or as as Rich calls it, hygge. Can <laughs> it I, looks like because it's spelled H Y G G E, and it looks like hygge. So I'm making the house super hygge because planning ahead because this is it for yeah. us. So I feel like so this is my evidence based strategy for coping. And, and what it what it takes is feeling like this sacrifice you're making, giving up Thanksgiving. It's worth it, and it's our it's yeah. our Rosie the Riveter moment. You know, and rolling up our sleeves and getting it done while. While I, I want everyone to come to the conclusion 
that it is absolutely fucking worth it to like do not share space with anybody who is not in your household. And I am including in that the one in three Americans who lives by themselves. And this is a very heavy lift. If you're not used to spending a holiday by yourself and you're fucking puttering around in your apartment entirely alone, it sucks. You tried that one year. Yes, I did it one year. And yes, it was, I did. It was, that was the year that um, my husband and his youngest daughter flew to Nova Scotia to be with the boy. And it was, it was, a, it was my first Thanksgiving in 10, 15 years not having Thanksgiving with the kids. And I was doing that so that I could stay home with the dogs so that Malin could go see the boy with the girl. So worth it. I was doing a thing to be of service to those people. And, uh, and I ended up going to your in-law's house. Yeah. And I didn't go because I had what I did not realize yet was a migraine. Migraine. Yeah. Like I got, I took a shower. I blew dry my hair. I put on real clothes and shoes. We're about to go out the door. And I was like, I am not going to be able to drive. I don't know what's going on. I feel like really dizzy. And like, I just need to lie down. Like, I don't know what's going on with me, but it's this thing and I don't feel good. And so Rich went by himself. Yeah. And me. Except that you went. Yeah. And some of your in-laws thought we're confused I was at you. first because they we're thought confused because they thought we do because why because why is their sister-in-law's sister <laughs> Thanksgiving and and their sister-in-law is not <laughs> like exactly what? <laughs> yeah but you that needed a place to be and I needed to lie down yeah and I dropped my phone in your mother-in-law's toilet wow <laughs> that was a memorable year so you you are like. Heckin' relatable. Oh, good. Okay, good. I mean, listen to you. You're so much more, like, no wonder people are like, I really relate to Amelia's story. Because well, I've been a stepmother. Like, I have the experience of, of Raising kids, children. Which more is, women do than don't. Yeah. And even if they don't have kids, they sort of, like, are the people who go to someone's house and they're used to being the guest and they show up with the whatever part of the meal is their job. Yeah. And it's or, very meaningful and important. Or they were raised in families where during their childhood they learned the value of tradition and they really enjoyed their whole family getting together. We didn't really have that. I didn't learn to love tradition and family meals until I was the parental figure in that. And it turns out it's super important. Turns out it's super important. Did you know? Turns out. Yeah. Making memories. That's kind of the point. You're like laying the neurological groundwork for their adulthood. Yeah. Through turkey. Yeah. And like now we're at the point of planning like how do we make our house a place where the kids can bring their spouses and their kids until we're not able to provide that anymore and then we end up going to their houses. But I mean, if we can keep it at our house, let's we're doing whatever we can to make those adaptations to make sure that we're ready for that. That's hardcore. Yeah. Because it's the, really the only thing that matters. You know what I think is uh, important <laughs> and interesting about the fact that you are planning your home in that concrete specific way mm -hmm. is that for once you are doing things based on introspection and an analysis of what really matters for you instead of based on what are the external criteria by which I'm supposed to make this choice. Oh, yeah. Like, we bought this house because it's less than a 20-minute drive to my university where I work. Like, that is, look, I wanted a driveway, I wanted a fenced yard for the dogs, and I wanted it to be less than a half hour from my work. That's why we bought this house. And I, 
I really don't care. Like every house we've lived in, we've bought three different houses since we've been married. And every one of them has been like, Malin falls in love with the house. He's got great taste. We like basically the same things. And I'm just like, okay, sure, whatever. Because I don't care. But not this house. We got this beach house on the Cape because that's where Malin grew up. And we want to make that a destination house where the kids can, you know, come and there's room for them. And there's enough space and a place for them to go and be independent of us. And we're, we're, we're planning this house as for that purpose. And so when you say like, hey, this year, that Thanksgiving, the thing, the, the getting together and the sharing space that is the very thing that you're focused on your entire life to create space to make that happen. This year, don't do that. It's, it's not easy. For people who are new to the podcast, it may surprise you to learn that Amelia is generally terrible and making choices based on what is right for her body and her life, and usually uses a list of external criteria about like what she's supposed to use, like in terms of like physical activity and food and rest, just small things like that. She has a tendency to like push herself really hard to conform with some culturally constructed aspirational ideal. So it is quite extraordinary and illustrates the power of something larger in shaping our choices. Yeah. And you're also a pretty classic human giver in that you find it much easier to assess your needs in terms of your own needs when it's really about other people's needs. Yeah. What can I do to be the best possible like step parent and create a context where the kids want to come see their dad? Yeah. So if you were using the same sort of approach to say your physical well-being, you might potentially make different choices. And I've actually talked to a lot of people when they're pregnant, they experience their choices about their body really differently because oh, yeah. they're not choosing for oh, themselves. Yeah. They're choosing for oh, yeah. this like human being they're bringing into the world. Yeah. And it's transformational for a lot of people. It yes. often doesn't last much beyond yeah. birth mm -hmm. or especially beyond breastfeeding if the person's breastfeeding. But mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So we also brought up human giver syndrome and being a giver. And we brought up chapter two. Mm -hmm. So I kind of feel like it's much, obviously it's much more than just you're something larger. But, okay, so what I was going to say was I recognize that it's a big sacrifice for everybody, even though I am absolutely convinced that it is the only viable option that anybody should be choosing. I do want to recognize that, like, I'm not in charge of anybody's life. And if you look at your list of, like, four if you look at your like good things, not so good things about the same and good things, not so good things about change, and you truly come to the conclusion that it is hashtag worth it for you to take the risk of COVID, you are wrong. <laughs> I mean, you are. You are. You're objectively You're wrong. wrong. You're objectively and look, wrong. But, and I but feel like this is, yes. we're not in charge of anybody else's life. But I feel like this is one place where I definitely have some authority you to speak. You have so much more authority than I do. Because I have had COVID and I really tremendously value the traditions of Thanksgiving. Hugely. And so for me, giving up Thanksgiving is genuinely a sacrifice, like a big sacrifice, not just for me, but for the kids and for my husband. Like it's a, it's a, and yet I think it's worth it. Even I, who value Thanksgiving so intensely, even I think it's worth it just, just not to do it this year. And as you said, it helps to remember, like, not doing it this year helps guarantee that we'll all be around to do it next year. And that's that's literal. Yeah. that's We're not exaggerating. 
Yeah. We're not being dramatic. That's literal truth. This could, yeah, this could kill the people who you value most in your life. And. So don't do it. And whatever you choose, there are definitely adaptations you can make when you're looking at your list and you think to yourself, what are some strategies I can use to get the good stuff and avoid some of the not so good stuff? Yeah. You can make something custom for your situation and your family. Yeah. Even if you are one of the people who lives by themselves and this means being isolated. You can yeah. like connect with people over the internet with video. Yeah. It helps. So I've learned a couple of things about being an effective communicator over digital means. Um, and one of the important things is using phatic speech, which is just like, hey, how is everybody doing? Just like regular talk instead of talking in a sort of altered way because of the mediation. Mm -hmm. And then another is sharing sensory experiences. So if everybody's eating like similar food or drinking a similar beverage all at once, you have that connection across the sensory experience. Mm -hmm. And you can talk about that. I've heard stories about people like they've decided they're going to like everybody's going to drop off some of their topping at other people's houses. Everybody will ultimately end up with the same plate. Yeah. And zoom over that. Seems like a lot of work, but I mean, again, hashtag worth it, right? If you all live in the same town, if you all live in the same town, that's a great idea. Right, yeah. If people are not having to travel long distances, then that's totally a thing you can do. Yeah, it's also a thing to do to get out of your house where you're driving to other people's houses and dropping off, you know, packages of, that's a great idea. And there's very little better in the world than giving other people food. Yeah, that's true. Like, especially if you're struggling, there's nothing like doing something nice for someone else to make you feel better about your life. Yeah. And uh, giving people food is one of the best, nice things you can do for people. Yeah. Do we think this helped? I think it's important to talk about. I really want people not to go anywhere. Yeah. My only story of not going anywhere is the year I stayed home and went to your in-law's house. And I mean, it wasn't great. Like it wasn't fun. It wasn't my Thanksgiving, but I remember that year. And it's like a funny story now. Like I I value having had that experience. Now that it's over, I value having had that experience. Yeah. Um, And and next year we'll go back to normal. It was two more years before I found out that thing I was experiencing was a migraine. Wow. And when the doctor said it, all I said was, I don't get headaches. And then I burst into tears for three days. (laughs) And you're getting getting migraines and getting diagnosed meant that when I got migraines, I was like, Emily sent it this is what a migraine feels like. Is this a migraine? And I knew because you had gone through it all. Where you just need to lie down in the dark and like wait until you don't wish you were dead. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) When like every sound feels like it's scraping the inside of my skull. Yeah. 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 And I, I, again, I don't mean that in like a flippant kind of way. I mean, like there are, are times when the migraines are so intense. I'm like, how long do I have to live this way? Yeah. And the answer I found out using an app is about four hours, which is an absolutely tolerable amount of time. One of the things that makes difficulties (laughs) tolerable is when you know approximately how long it's going to last. This is going to last approximately until April. And that will very gradually, there's not going to be like a day when we all emerge in the sunshine blinking out of our (laughs) houses and dancing in the street. Yeah, that's not going to happen. What's going to happen is it will gradually get easier and easier. And so that by a year from now, it's going to feel mostly normal. Yeah. And because we went through all this huge sacrifice. Yes. We get to have Thanksgiving next year. Yeah. And we get to eat another endangered turkey. (laughs) (laughs) 
Because you were also, you also reserved a turkey in July. I did. You were like, hey, I'm getting this turkey. I was like, you want here's one? these amazing turkeys. Do you want a turkey? Get the turkey. I was like, yes, yes, please, turkey. Well, that was also back when I was thinking the kids might be able to come for Thanksgiving. I'm going to have a lot of leftover turkey because <laughs> I got a big turkey. Yeah, we're going to, we're going to freeze. We're going to have to freeze some turkey. A lot of turkey. This will also be like Christmas, Christmas. and New Year's yeah. turkey. Yeah. So I guess the title of this episode is Amelia Something Larger is a Turkey. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's real. It is. But my my bigger something larger is, you know, keeping my husband alive. Yeah. So. Yeah, because it's, it's not about the turkey. It's not about the turkey. It's about the meaning that you make. It's about the love. Yeah, it's fucking, it's about love. <laughs> Turns out the answer is fucking love again. Except that it's also turkey. Yeah, because sometimes love is the turkey. Yeah, because everything also, is a metaphor for everything. And look. I gave you this advice yesterday, and I want everyone to have this advice. When you make stuffing, it's really important that your celery and your onions are swimming in butter. That's all. I think we should share your stuffing recipe because I have never made stuffing that I felt satisfied with, and your stuffing is always extremely good. a favorite. We run out of stuffing before we run out of anything else. We have turkey, we have gravy, we have, well, gravy runs out almost as fast as the stuffing. So as a reward for people listening... All the way through, here's Amelia's extraordinary, traditional, heavily nostalgic homemade stuffing recipe. Okay. Step one is you take a good loaf of white bread out and let it stale overnight. Then you dice a ton of celery and onion and sweat it in a stick of butter, a full stick of butter. How much butter is that? A full stick of butter with a ton of celery and onion. How do you know you've got enough butter? It, it's swimming in the butter. Swimming the in the butter. The onions and the celeries are swimming in the butter. Okay. And then you add like a half a box of Bell's poultry seasoning, which is the poultry seasoning that our grandmother used, and therefore it is the correct poultry seasoning because it tastes like the best part of your childhood. So a different poultry seasoning might be more nostalgic for you, but for me, that's the one that's like, like it's the secret ingredient as far as I'm concerned. That's the, that's the thing that tastes like Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yeah. You know how cinnamon tastes like Christmas? Bell's poultry seasoning tastes like Thanksgiving. And there are other brands that taste very similar, but there's there's a very specific combination of verbs and spices that is, yeah, you know, the correct one. Okay, so you've got your, your onions and your celery swimming in some butter. You add your poultry seasoning. Um, you beat some eggs, and then you temper them with the butter mixture. So you put the eggs in a bowl. You put in a little bit of the warm butter mixture and you slowly heat the eggs a little bit at a time so that they don't scramble. I mean, you can look up how to temper eggs, but it's important that you temper the eggs. And then you uh, mix it together with your, you know, big chunks of stale bread. How big you like your chunks is a personal preference. I like them pretty big. And uh, then you pack it densely into a casserole dish and cover and bake. That's it. So it's extremely simple. It takes a very long time. It takes like a none of that like sausage nonsense, no chestnuts. You can. I've done sausage, nuts. I've done turkey innards. Sure. Like giblet liver stuffing. and stuff. Giblets, yep. I've done oysters. I've tried all the no. things. Why? But really I love oysters. It's the really unadorned. The, the version that people love is this it's just bread, onion, celery, butter, poultry seasoning. And eggs, because it's basically a it's basically bread pudding, <laughs> but savory. And for those who are going to sous vide their turkeys, <laughs> you cut it up into parts. You cook the legs 
together overnight at 165 for like 12 hours. Oh my God, 12 hours? Then you put the breasts in at about 150 for anywhere from two to 12 hours. You just do the legs out before, you do the legs overnight, the day before. A lot of people do stuff the day before. You take out your bread to dry overnight. You do, you do. So just at the same time that you're like chopping up your bread into cubes so it can dry overnight, you put the legs of your turkey no, no, into no. the sous Wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. You don't chop your bread up to let it stale or it'll turn like hard and crunchy. Oh. You leave it whole as a loaf. See, it's a good thing I... So that it stales as a whole loaf, so that it's just a little stale, not totally dried out. Okay. You don't want toast. It, and if it's not stale, it'll just get mushy. Like some people like the mush, in which case... Go for the mush if you like. But like, if you want a nice moderately dry, you got to have it a real loaf of bread. See? That is out overnight. It's a good thing I checked. Uh, some people like to cut their bread into cubes. I like to tear it into chunks. I prefer the rough torn edges. Yeah. Especially if you're going to like let it get crispy in the oven at the end. Right. You take the top off at the end. And because you put a fucking stick of butter in there, the top's going to brown. <laughs> And that is this episode of the Feminist Survival Project 2020 Thanksgiving 2020 edition. Hashtag don't go there. By which I mean anywhere. <laughs> and don't try to make stuffing with like two pats of butter. No. Stick. Stick of butter. Stick of butter per loaf of bread. Yeah. That seems like a completely reasonable ratio to me. Yeah. Okay then. I hope. I hope this helps. Thanksgiving for listening. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> Turns out the answer is fucking love again. Except that it's also turkey. The Feminist Survival Project 2020 is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you love at frolic.media slash podcasts.